Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 125 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we've got a pretty exciting one because there's a lot of good action that happened in the Premier League this past weekend. A lot of crazy drama surrounding the Manchester United-West Ham match. Chelsea taking care of business. Liverpool rolling on. City stumbling a little bit. But to get things started, we have to start off with the biggest game of this past weekend, which was Tottenham versus Chelsea. Chelsea becoming... A picking up a 3-0 win at um, Tottenham's new home. Um, it's actually pretty funny. There was a stat that Tottenham or Chelsea have actually beat Tottenham in their new stadium um, three times. The three times they've been there, they beat them all three times in their new, new home ground. So a little bit of interesting stat there. But Chelsea were just dominant. They were just the by far, they knew they were the better team. They acted like they were the better team. They just came in there, took care of business, and basically gave Tottenham no chance uh, that's literally how it felt. Tottenham literally had no chance to win this game. And Chelsea just took her of business the way they normally do and the way they have been doing under Tuchel, which is come in with the game plan, execute the game plan, and then walk out victorious. So it was 10 out of 10 performance from Chelsea. Chelsea literally made the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium like their home. Like this been <laughs> like I've seen like now doodles and cartoons of just the Tottenham Stadium being to face and just having all like the Chelsea like lion and all the blue just smear on along the walls of the stadium it's Tottenham not doing a very good job you know pretending the home ground yeah it's not very much a fortress as you know a team in the top six should have quote-unquote top six should have but they're starting to become you know back down to earth whereas in the beginning of the season you saw Tottenham, they're kind of fighting for you know, like the top spot. It was very surprising just like straight three, off the bat. Like, three three wins in a row. Yeah, exactly. And then now in the fifth game, they're just like, all right. <laughs> we're back to who we off. actually are. The, the wheels, wheels have come off. And I was a little surprised because Hungman's son came back and they also put in a few familiar faces, like a few old fan favorites such as like Ndombele and then Lo Celso was also back in. And then Christian Morel, Ro- Romero is the center back from Atalanta that was slotted right back in. They do have a bit of an injury crisis in the back, but you know I expected their new signings of like Emerson Royale and Romero to do a little better against Chelsea, but Chelsea just made them look like a mid-table team. That, that is, it's a combination of, I guess, the new back line of Tottenham still trying to adjust, but also just the rotation of that Chelsea squad where I feel like Tuchel, it's almost like Pep Guardiola, where you never know what that starting 11 is. Like, Conte didn't start this game. And then, you know, you got Kai Havertz, Lukaku, and Mason Mount up top. You don't know whether it's going to be like Werner. You don't know. Well, Pulisic is currently injured right now, but you don't know if it's going to be like Hudson-Odoi up there too. It's It kind of changes here and there, and it all kind of still works. It's It's more like now the system can supply the most to bring out the players rather than like the players bring out more, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, if I were to make comparisons to like NFL, it'd be like that the 49ers or like the Ravens, they are like very run heavy teams. They can just put anyone that plays running back into their system and it works. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Chelsea, it's kind of almost the same, but for Chelsea, they had the luxury luxury of every single one of the running backs were like a top five player. <laughs> like <laughs> Lukaku is one of the top strikers in the world. Kai Havertz, one of the top, like Cam's center attacking mids that's up and coming in the world. And Mason Mount making a name for himself too. So 
it's a little bit of all kind of combination of Tuchel and Chelsea, although they're kind of showing so much dominance, the title race is still pretty neck and neck in terms of them, Liverpool and Manchester United. So, and also Man City, of course, but right now of those three, we're going to talk about Man City a little later, but for Chelsea, this game, they made Tottenham really look like the team that's going to be struggling like Arsenal. Yeah, I think uh, Tottenham, I, I don't I don't think anyone really thought Tottenham were going to be title challengers. And I think their start of the season caught everyone by surprise, especially beating Manchester City in the opening match of the Premier League or the opening weekend in the Premier League season. But they collapsed during Crystal Palace. They looked, literally, they, had, they did not look dangerous at all against Chelsea. So it, it kind of shows that with Nuno... We knew what we were going to get, a very a coach that wants to sit back and hit on the counterattack, not really play a ton of progressive type of play. Um, and he's not really getting the best out of his out of his players. And Harry Kane looked pretty lackluster, looked a little bit lost out there. Um, Deli Ali, a player I want to bring up because I know we've mentioned him before. Now, you know, obviously, past couple of seasons, it's kind of shown that, you know, he's not really the player that we once thought he was going to be. But it is kind of sad because... I remember when he first burst onto the scene for Tottenham when he came, I believe, from... Uh, where's the team that he, he came uh, from? MK Leading. Dons. Yeah, MK Dons. When he came from them, I mean, he just basically lit up the Premier League. I mean, this like everyone was saying like this guy could be like the next... The, the way he played, it was almost... He was a midfielder, but it was almost like he was a center forward at times. The amount of times he would just bomb forward, burst forward in the box. I mean, this guy was scoring Yaya Tori. Yaya Torre level um, amount of goals where he was scoring close to 18, 15 goals a season. I think for like three seasons in a row, he was getting that close to that amount. And then the past couple of seasons, he's just not been there like anywhere near that player. But when I watch him now, it just doesn't look like he's, he doesn't play like that once that player he once was, he doesn't really make those, you know, those runs into the box. He doesn't really bomb forward as much. And when he's in the box, he doesn't look very clinical. He kind of looks a little bit lost out there. He doesn't know if he should play the pass or if he should shoot. He doesn't really have the confidence to take on volleys like he once did. So, you know, I, I know we've mentioned it before, but I, I think this season and this past season just shows that, you know, I, I think Deli Ali may have been one of those players that peaked, like his peak just hit really early. And then just for some reason, he can never get back to that level or, you know, maybe those first three years were just kind of an anomaly for him because it's a little bit sad because at one point, Sir Alex Ferguson basically told Jose Mourinho to bring, do all you can to sign um, Deli Ali to get him to Manchester United because he even thought that he was going to be the next, like, greatest midfielder of this generation. But, man, he is uh, he has fallen so far off that uh, off those heights. And it's a little sad because I was a fan of Deli Ali. I really liked the way he played, but... Man, it's a uh, it's a little sad. I, 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 you know, I know Tottenham fans are kind of mad with him, but yeah, it's crazy to think that where he once was to where he is now in a Tottenham shirt. I feel like it's partially mental as well. Actually, mostly mental because when you played back in the days, it reminded me a lot of like that like bad mannerism that you see from like a Trey Young or you know like a not almost like Cantona is a little too far, but like someone who. <laughs> you'd see the means of him like flicking off other players yeah like just bad mouthing other players that are on the opposition team like just just not very you know nice it's basically even though he had that little wave like all <laughs> those montages of and gifs of him just waving to the camera making him look nice but i mean that's the kind of player he was he's just kind of mean and that kind of played onto his character where like he would just do whatever he'd get the header he'd get the goal he'd do the crazy 
you know, skillful kind of show offy moves like that spectacular goal that we can all kind of remember from Crystal Palace where we flicked it from in front, like flicked it over him like a reverse rainbow and then volleyed yeah. it on the half volley to score. So you don't really picture that happening these days now. It's very much like he knows the basics. He knows he, he's like an above average player, but like that's about it. Like all that magic, all that swagger is just kind of gone. Yeah. And I feel like that's like the mental part where it's just like he doesn't think to do that anymore. It doesn't come naturally to him. He has the dreadlocks now, but it's just like, man, maybe he needs to go back to that. The shaved, the shaved head kind of <laughs> daily alley and maybe even a change of scenery might help because I feel like he's just been pretty stagnant the past several seasons. You know, granted, he got sent into purgatory by Jose Mourinho and he got brought back to life by uh, Nuno. But even then, right now, it's he's still trying to figure it out. It's just like he's kind of lost that magic. And he's still trying to find it, but I don't know if he can get it back at Tottenham. Do you feel like this is something you can eventually find back at Tottenham or maybe a change of scenery might help or it might be gone for good? Yeah, I feel like a change of scenery would help him. I feel like he's sort of similar to Jesse Lingard where you know, those, those couple of seasons with Lingard when he came in, he was very spectacular. He was scoring a lot of great goals. He was performing you know, a lot of skill moves. He was getting past people. He's playing with a lot of confidence. And then, you know, when that terrible season with Manchester United happened, he kind of lost a lot of that confidence and it took him so long to get it back. And eventually when they loaned him out to West Ham, he kind of found that that magic again and found that groove of his. And I feel like with Dele Ali, maybe that's the same thing that needs to happen. Actually, I think that would probably be the best thing for him to do is to go to a team and get loaned out to another Premier League side where he can kind of be almost, he can have that ability to show off and that pressure is kind of off his shoulders a little bit because, you know, it's crazy to think at one point he was getting, he was valued close to like 80 million. He was close to valued to like around 60 or 80 million. And now, I mean, <laughs> you could probably march in and go to Daniel Levy's office and offer 20 mil and probably get him for even less than that, which is just crazy because at one point he was considered one of the highest, you know, rated youth prospects in the world. And now it's just, uh, he's just kind of an average midfielder at best. But yeah, I think uh, I definitely think a change of scenery in terms of a loan spell will probably do him a lot of good and hopefully maybe get some of that magic back. Mm-hmm. And that definitely take the pressure off of Hungman Son and Harry Kane because, you know, last season they went off together, that duo of Kane and Son. But this season, the fusion's not really there. It's just yeah. like they try to they try to fuse and then it's just like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's not happening. It's not happening. There's no connection. And I feel like Deli Ali should be one of those people connecting the two, but it's just yeah, not working I feel, out. I also feel bad for, you know, I know we mentioned the the talk about Harry Kane, but it, it just seems like this season is going to be kind of a wash and lost season for Tottenham, you know, with you know, with the likes of, especially Harry Kane, who visibly and forcefully wanted himself out of the club. And now he's basically in this wasted year of his prime, just playing for a club that really isn't going to be fighting for the Premier League title not really fighting for a ton of titles. So now it's just kind of, he's stuck in this weird zone of, you know, next year we probably, we're guaranteed that he's probably going to move to another club. So Tottenham are just in a very, very, very weird place right now because they're not really going to be challenging for the title and they're not really in a relegation battle. They're not, they're just kind of stuck in meh territory right now. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I wanted to quickly mention Chelsea because their defense and just, I was going to say the overall squad, but certain players like Antonio Rudiger has like totally transformed his 
um, Chelsea career, basically his entire career as a player. Uh, I look at players like Aspilicueta, Rudiger, um, you know, Thiago Silva, we always knew was class. So that's not really that, you know, surprising, but players like Marcus Alonso as well. These players at one point under Lampard, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but under Lampard, they couldn't even get a game in or they look completely lost out there. Now under um, Thomas Tuchel, they literally look close to world-class players. Like Rudiger, I feel like, has totally transformed himself into being a strong, top-quality center back in terms of his leadership and also his ability um, as a defensive as a defensive pairing with Thiago Silva. Aspilicueta has basically you know, slotted in and been that leader in the back as well. Marcus Alonso has found his footing again as a left back. So, you know, I have to give Tuchel credit. He's definitely come in and just reorganized the defense and basically turned a lot of players that could have been castaways into now leaders into the team, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. It's very much the opposite of Deli Alli where you (laughs) saw all the magic at the beginning of Deli Alli and then, you know, you're just hoping that comes back. Whereas for Rudiger... I mean, you saw the potential, you saw the promise when he was at Roma, but then when you came to Chelsea, it was very much like, ah, he was never really first choice. It was very much like, well, you know, we'll rotate him in, we'll slot him in, hopefully he comes better. He has all the physical traits to be, you know, potentially world-class or at least above average, but yeah, it never really came. But under Tuchel, we're seeing a lot of things about him that just, you never even thought about. Like, for example, his speed, like he yeah. ran like 35 kilometers an hour which in miles per hour i don't know what that is but i assume that's really fast (laughs) but it's just like you don't really think about something like that from like a rudiger where it's just like oh he's actually fast whereas like back in the days when you think of him it's always like oh he's kind of clunky he makes the occasional errors he's like an all right defender he's just like a good placeholder in case one of the actual starters gets injured whereas now it's like oh he's actually pretty clinical on the ball he's actually pretty like confident when you give them like a one-on-one opportunity. So mm-hmm. like that kind of confidence, like really can change a player. <laughs> you yeah. can literally see the two, like the juxtaposition between Deli Ali and then Rudiger now, where it's yeah. just confidence. That's all you need as a player. If you get the confidence, like your, your total, your entire career is going to change. But I mean, that's what we've been saying about Chelsea ever since Tuchel's come in. I, I will say that in the beginning of this season, I didn't think, Chelsea were going to continue their winning ways under Tuchel. I thought they would struggle a little bit, but they've they've been impressing me because they basically have ran away with that. They've they've been so consistent. They've been one of the most consistent teams in Europe as well, winning their Champions League matches as well. So they look like a very very solid team, and this result not really that surprising, um, considering the fact that they've been so good and so dominant um, to start off the season. But um, moving on to the West Ham versus Manchester United match. This game was crazy. Even though Manchester United won 2-1, this was a very, very crazy matchup. Um, literally all the drama happened at the end of the game, probably the last five minutes of the game. Jesse Lingard gets subbed on. He scores a banger into the top right corner, just finesses it in the right in the top right corner in the 88th minute to basically get the winning goal for Manchester United. A couple minutes later, Ronaldo goes into the box, Blatantly gets tackled by Kurt Zuma. It's clear foul gets tackled by Kurt Zuma. United uh, players are calling for a penalty. Martin Atkinson doesn't even look at VAR, doesn't even check VAR to even check for the penalty. He just gets on with it. And then literally at the last kick of the game or second to last kick of the game, a West Ham United player tried to cross in a ball into the box and then it hit the arm of Luke Shaw, which I agree. I think it probably it was a handball. VAR checks it. Calls for the handball and the David Moyes 
as his basically his super sub goes full Garrett Southgate mode and essentially brings on Mark Noble, a cold Mark Noble that um, what I was re- what I was reading in the um, reports and also from the pundits out in Europe, they basically said that this he was not even training at all. He was not warming up. He had no warm ups. He had no sense of like warming up his muscles. Just basically, David Moy saw him on the bench, told him to get him get get undressed and get onto the pitch to take the penalty. And probably takes a really mediocre penalty. David De Gea saves it. His first penalty save since 2016, which is crazy, saves it. And then United win- end up winning the game. So that all happened in a span of probably five or six minutes to end the game. And it was a wild finish. But a lot of United fans and a lot of Premier League um, pundits were also calling on Martin Atkinson because they thought his refereeing was a little bit questionable in this game. And I believe the Premier League or the Referee Association or the FA released a statement this morning saying that they agreed that it wasn't the foul on Kirk Zuma on Ronaldo that should have been called a pen, but actually a foul on um, that Pablo Fornals did on Paul Pogba, I believe in the first half that should have been called for a penalty, but that but wasn't looked at in terms of VAR. So it was a very questionable game for Martin Atkinson. He missed a couple of calls, and it honestly almost ended up hurting Manchester United at the end if David De Gea doesn't save that penalty. But um, some questionable calls, but I, I, I want to point it back to David Moyes bringing on Mark Noble. If you're the manager, would you bring on your penalty specialist at the end of the game for the final kick of the game, even if they are really experienced like Mark Noble, with no warm-up, would you bring him on to score basically a pressure cook penalty to win the or to tie the game at that moment? Or do you just pick someone else that's on the field that's been playing? That'd be some big mind games because, you know, as David De Gea, you're looking at the 11 that are on the pitch, you know, minus the keeper probably. You're like, Lucas Fabianski's <laughs> not going to take it. But you look at the you look at the other players, it's like, all right, it's probably going to be like Ben Rama who might take it. It might be like Fernals that takes it. And then all of a sudden, Mark Noble, like the captain, the man who's been in the Premier League for years is like, all right, he might know something. It's kind of like when Chelsea tried to bring on like Caballero to be like the goalie for a shootout or like City when they do it and bring Caballero. So it's it's a little tricky. I feel like the fact that Mark Noble was completely cold, like no warm, up or, no warm up or anything like that would probably backfire. And also, you know, it, it's it's a lot more as. If I were the manager, I would ask who has the most confidence. Because ironically, <laughs> I feel like although technique is one thing, I feel like penalty confidence is an, an actual key thing. Like I know we just talked about confidence in like the previous, you know, Tottenham versus Chelsea section, but mm-hmm. like this is like a key thing that I, I really think of. And it's an actual mental thing because a penalty is like 12 yards. It looks really far away when you're the kicker, and it looks really close when you're the goalie. So it's just whoever has like the good mental mind game of just being able to like, all right, just fade everything out. Just focus on the shot that you're taking and then that's it. So it's a very long winded way of me saying if Mark Noble felt confident that he could do it and not David Moy saying he should just do it without like Mark's opinion or anything, then I would I would let Mark take it. But if it was David Moyes saying Marco take it and then Mark was like, ah, I don't know about I don't know about it, then I would say no. Like I would say you give it to whoever is confident who wants to take it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a, a little bit questionable on him. Well, I think it goes both ways. I think if he goes and scores it and, you know, they equalize Dev, David Moyes looks like a genius. If he doesn't bring him on, he lets one of the other players take it, then people are going to say, oh, you know, you had Mark Noble on the bench, your penalty kick specialist. Why didn't you bring him on? So 
I feel like it's a it's a two way street that you can't win. It's like if you succeed, you look like a genius. If you don't, you look like a failure. So it's one of those things that people take from both ways. But I do agree with you. I think I would have personally preferred if I was a manager, I would have just let someone else on the pitch take it because they've already been playing. They've they had the adrenaline in them. They know what's the situation. If you bring someone on the bench, you never know if they could have been dozing off. They're just been kind of, you know, in their own world out there. And the fact that you have to bring him on, he has no warm up. His muscles are cold. You know, he may have a tight hamstring. You're just telling him to basically go kick the winner right here. Go kick the equalizer. In that pressure cook situation, I I don't agree with it. Um, A little bit of bad management on David Moyes. But in terms of Manchester United, uh, I wanted to point out David De Gea because I think I mentioned him a couple episodes ago. But... As I mentioned today, this was his first penalty save since 2016 for him, which is a very long time for a goalkeeper. Essentially, the stat was he has gone 40 consecutive penalty kicks before that without saving a single one, including penalty shootouts, which is just wild. And the fact that he saved it, it's kind of uh, a lot of the the vibe I was getting, you know, as a Manchester United fan and also other United fans is that he's kind of back in terms of essentially reclaiming his face as the number one solidified number one keeper at Manchester United, throwing away Dean, Dean Henderson, um, the, the competition from him and almost essentially getting back to that form that he once had a couple seasons ago where he was close to being, or arguably you could make the case that he was the number one keeper in Europe, but getting close to that, getting back to that top level of goalkeeping. Um, it just seems like he has his confidence back and I don't know, it just seems like David De Gea, the David De Gea, Prime De Gea is back. And it's crazy because he's only 29, I believe. And we're already talking about Prime De Gea coming back. But it's been a tricky couple of seasons for him. But I'm glad that he's finally showing, showcasing some of his uh, quality that we always knew he had. Just for some reason, the confidence wasn't there for the longest time. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that same thing, whereas last season, you'd be thinking, no, oh, Dean Henderson, he's going to take over the yeah. spot. De Gea's kind of lost it. He's Exactly. He's, he's binned it. But he really is coming back, especially this season, where he's starting to make those saves. I think we even mentioned in the previous episodes, the same season where he's starting to make those saves with his legs that, you know, a traditional keeper wouldn't make, like those quick reflexes that are kind of like his spider monkey-esque kind of Mm -hmm. De Gea kind of, I guess. Moments. Moments, yeah. Like the thing you just write his name on is like, oh yeah, that's a signature De Gea thing to do. Yeah. And like I saw that penalty kick and I was like, all right, it's definitely there's <laughs> like a 90% chance of going in based on the fact that I know De Gea hasn't saved anything for like years. But for him to save that too, I feel like that was like a turning point where it's like, all right, he's back. Yeah, and, and it was yeah, I was gonna mention this real quick. After he saved it when the full time whistle hit, all the United players yeah. from the bench, the staff, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was running towards him, Ronaldo came and cheered for him. They were all, you know basically jumping on him and just celebrating him. It was awesome to see because, um, you know, we had players saying like numero uno, which basically means like his number, but also the number one keeper. So it seems like the players, they've always loved David De Gea, but it was just great seeing that kind of that camaraderie where after the full-time whistle hit, everyone came on to cheer him on because, you know, it was just a great moment to see. This is literally the like biggest crucial moment of the game too, where it's like, it's literally the last, almost the last kick of the game. Yeah. He does it, he saves it, then the team gets three points. And I don't know, maybe it was <laughs> David Moyes throwing him a bone. He's like, I know you've been having some rough times. You're still Mark Noble out there. He's a little cold. He always goes right. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> then the head knows. But I'm surprised that you also mentioned he's 29. I thought he was older. Yeah. 
No, Dang. he's uh, he's pretty young. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. He's only about 28 or 29, I believe. He hasn't hit 30, which is just crazy. Um, oh my but yeah, I remember he he was signed for United. I think he signed as a 20 or or 21 year old. So mm-hmm. or he 19, was really so, young. Yeah, so he was really young, but he's been playing as a starter for United for a very long time. So it seems like he should be older, but it's, he's just been the number one for such a long time. And it's funny. I think a lot of people mentioned that his downfall basically started during the 2018 World Cup against the, it was a Spain-Portugal game where Ronaldo scored that hat trick where he led in a couple P-rollers. And that essentially created his downfall in terms of his confidence. And now that they signed Ronaldo back, it seems like he got his mojo and his groove back as a goalkeeper. So I don't know, maybe there's something in that, but it, the, the vibe I got is definitely that it's fun to see David De Gea back because I've missed him being, you know, I want to see David De Gea making those crazy saves. Like this was the keeper that literally stopped, saved Manchester United from being Arsenal a couple seasons back, <laughs> essentially mm-hmm. that he saved them so many points back in the day. So it's great to see that now he's able to kind of be in a team and be thriving in a team. That's actually really good. Um, so once again, I'm, I'm I'm stoked that uh, David De Gea is coming back to his uh, full power, essentially, hopefully. But uh, moving on to Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. Liverpool dominated Palace 3-0. It was pretty easy win. Um, Mane scoring, Salah scoring, and then Keita actually getting on the score sheet. I feel like that's kind of a... I, I don't... When you mention Liverpool scores, you don't really think of Naby Keita too often, but he, he scored a banger in this one. Um, but yeah, Liverpool are continuing to roll in the Premier League. They're picking up the wins, you know, and they're, they're rebounding from last season. So it's a, it's a big thing for them. But yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool cruise for this one, beating beating uh, Crystal Palace 3-0. I feel like the scoreline, though, doesn't really say the whole story because it looks like Liverpool went off, like, you know, 3-0. It's like, oh, yeah, piece of cake. But in the beginning, within like the first two minutes, like Zaha could have almost scored by accident. But... Got like gotta give some credit to Ali's son because you know, as a Liverpool fan, when you've watched the end of Pepe Rana to Mingule, the whole era of Mingule there, and then Carius, and then getting Ali's son, the jump from getting Carius and then from from starting Carius and then to starting Ali's son, that jump was insane because you have finally a reliable keeper that can do world class things like save your team, kind of like De Gea did for Manchester United. But it just comes like week in and week out. And now we kind of take it for granted because Ali's son, he literally saved a 1-0 within the first two minutes by diving into his goal backwards and then slapping the ball out into the post and out for a corner. So it's like little things like that where it's like, dang, we kind of take that for granted. And there's even at times when like a, like a crazy shot would be like one touch through the box and during a corner kick and he just catch it. Like, he wouldn't, like, parry it into danger or, <laughs> you know, parry it in his own goal and he, no P-rollers. Like, he he just catches everything. And that is something, you know, we just kind of put out there where it's like he kind of saved the team at some points because this Liverpool back line, they basically rotated out the starting four, except for Van Dyke. They brought in Samikas to play left back, James Milner, the Swiss army knife at right back, and then Konate. He got Ibrahim, Ibrahim and Konate got his start in the Premier League, playing at the right center back position with Virgil van Dijk as his buddy at left. But it was a little shaky, I'm not going to lie. Having James Milner shut down Zaha, I knew it was going to be a little... uh, What's the word? Just (laughs) Troubling? Yeah, trepidatious, I guess that's the word. 
<laughs> but I was like, oh my gosh. Like I knew at some point he's going to go through. But luckily if Kanate up there as his, as his backup, like as in if the first layer of defense goes down on the right back, then Kanate would be there. He did a pretty solid job. He basically was able to shield and he didn't make any rash tackles. He was just very, you know, he's just very good at just being very conservative as a center back. He had all the physical traits to, you know, keep up with a Zaha or an Ayu. Whereas I would say on the passing side, his technical skills, it was a little questionable at times, which is what I was kind of anticipating. But it was good to see him finally get a start. And it was kind of surprising also where, like, we're not going to mention too much about the Champions League yet, but like in the Champions League match against Milan, they started, or Jurgen Klopp started Matip and Joe Gomez as the partnership. So I was like, huh. I wonder what the thinking is. If he's going to keep like these kind of pairs together, you know, with Matip and Van Dijk and then Matip and Gomez and then Konate and uh, Van Dijk, kind of things like that. So, or if he's just going to do like a musical chairs kind of situation. <laughs> so that's something to kind of keep in mind for the future. But there's a lot of close calls that were just kind of covered up from just good individual play from Ali Sun and also just some individual plays just from, the players themselves, like Shamika's the man who never sleeps. The man who looks like he, he hasn't slept for like a week. <laughs> He's kind of turning up this game too. And I mean, you kind of give credit to kind of stopping all these last minute kind of shots from Crystal Palace. I was kind of surprised that Patrick Vieira's side is doing this well. I guess I had the bar so low after seeing DeBoer kind of screw up Crystal Palace. That I thought Vieira would be like a second, second yeah. coming. But you know, he's, it was a decent showing despite the, the scoreline, but mm-hmm. I will say it was kind of relieving to see Mane score. Like that his was something we kind of mentioned. His 100th Premier League goal. Yes, 100th Premier League goal. It was good positioning, I would say. Like that's honestly what he should be transitioning to if not already has. Like that that mindset to always be in the right spot and the right time to score. And then the final goal, Keita. Navi Keita came on for an injured Thiago and Hopefully that's more to come because he scored a volley on his weak foot from the outside of the box in the like second to last minute of the game. And he tried to pull one of those mean mugs that Eric Cantona used to do. And yeah, he, he didn't Cantona, really pull it off for famous, too long. The famous Cantona just Yeah, just like looking to the Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Yeah, of course. He's like, this is what I do. I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't usually do this, but hopefully it becomes regular. So like that was something that it was very hopeful to see as a Liverpool fan because after seeing like Harvey Elliott go down and after he also hearing that he may possibly come back at the end of the season it's which crazy. is insane to hear I'm not gonna rush that I, I still think he should take as much time as he needs and also seeing Thiago go down I was like oh man not not like this not again yeah <laughs> seeing Keita come in it's like all right there's a little bit of hope we got some depth there Mm-hmm. And I was surprised to see like Minamino to even get any subs. I was like, what's going on? Yeah. My man is just warming the bench. Yeah. So his new role is just bench warmer at this point. Just LB, left bench. <laughs> left bench. But, but um, I do want to mention as well. I had like this little note that Chelsea and Liverpool, they're both basically the two dominant teams going into this title race with man, you just right behind, not too far. But it was surprising to see they have the same record, but also the same score in the first five matches of every of, of this Premier League season. Like if you look yeah, at their first five match matches, results. it's the same match results just straight down the line. 
Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit odd. It definitely shows that, uh, you know, anything from that, it definitely shows that these two are definitely the, I would say Manchester United, Man City are contenders as well. It's, it's I feel like it's going to be a four-team title race, but from the early showing, it definitely shows that Chelsea and Liverpool have kind of come in and really concentrated and like know what they are what they are about because um the fact that they've both conceded only one goal which was against each other when they played is pretty phenomenal like through five games only concede like one goal that's really really good and one other thing is i feel like chelsea and liverpool when you when you go in each week you kind of know in a sense i know we mentioned tuchel likes to rotate klopp is rotating a little bit but you kind of know who their star players are, who's going to create the chances, but you also know what you're going to get in terms of play style. You know, you know how they're going to come in. Liverpool are going to do the gang and press, going to dominate, going to try to press. You know, they're going to be very strong in the back. Chelsea going to be very, very strong and solidified in the back. You know, not going to give up a lot of chances, but also going to be very deadly on the counterattack with Lukaku uh, and, and company. So, the fact that they both come in with very different play styles, but the fact that you can know what you're going to expect from each of these teams each week, and the fact they can perform it each week at a very consistent rate, it's uh, it's pretty admirable because it's very it's it's hard to do that. And I feel like Chelsea is almost taking Manchester City's spot as like the top rival of Liverpool this season because even though City are going to be very dangerous, they don't really they don't have that number nine striker, that re- really reliable number nine that can score a ton of goals for them. So they're in a sense just rotating a bunch of wingers to play as the number nine, and it's kind of costing them a couple points, as we saw. We're about to with their Southampton game, and then Manchester United. They are a very solid team, but I think you know, yes, they added the likes of Rafael Varane, uh, Rafael Varane, and Cristiano Ronaldo, winners that know how to win, that can win everything. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is still a young coach um, and they still have a, a decent young squad that needs to kind of learn and develop and how to become winners. So I feel like they can be title winners, but they might be just a little bit more inconsistent than Liverpool and Chelsea have just from the start of the season. They've shown a little bit of inconsistency, which I think might cost them going into the la- latter half of the season, but we'll see. But I think it's very interesting that Chelsea and Liverpool have kind of matched each other in that sense. Mm-hmm. And also just to say Chelsea have just gelled so quickly in terms of chemistry because Tuchel, I still don't, he hasn't even been here for two full years yet because he came in like halfway. He hasn't even been here for a whole year. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's true, actually. Yeah. yeah. I think I think he came in. I think Lampard got sacked in January or February, something around there. I believe um, so. Yeah, because I, I believe he came in. Maybe before their round of 16 match, because I feel like Lampard got him into the round of 16. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And then Tuchel took over from there. So, yeah, it hasn't even been a whole year for Tuchel. And then, yeah, it looks like this has been his team for for years now. It's crazy. Something's something's going off because, like, you see that PSG team that he managed right before. It's like it it always felt like there's something missing. It was like maybe it was Tuchel. And then now you see under Pochettino, Messi can't score. And it's just like... Maybe it wasn't too cool. <laughs> maybe maybe it was. Maybe he's actually better yeah. than we all think. And, yeah, two German you know, coaches top of the Premier League. There we go. Tuchel and and then Klopp. we got Pep Guardiola. Yeah, Pep Guardiola. Man. But that we'll go. You're gonna go straight yeah, into that. Yeah, good transition there with the Man City Southampton game. I know we mentioned before, but this game ended in a nil nil draw. But what's interesting was before in their midweek Champions League fixture, fixture against RB Leipzig, which ended in I believe a six three or five three mm-hmm. win for Manchester City. Very very exciting game, filled with a lot of attacking uh, promise. 
after the game, Pep Guardiola asked, begging essentially City supporters to come join them and watch the game in the Etihad, um, the Southampton game, saying it's a really important game. Basically, after I think a couple of days after that, City supporters caught wind of that statement and were essentially kind of annoyed by it. Um, they didn't really appreciate the words Pep Guardiola said after his post-game match in the Champions League. And then in his pre-match press conference before the Southampton game, a reporter asked, um, basically asked Guardiola his comments of whether he will apologize um, based on what the response from the City supporters. And he essentially said, I'm not going to apologize for what I said. So... There's been a little bit of weird beef going on between City fans and Pep Guardiola. And I feel like in general, this season, Pep Guardiola has been complaining a little bit uh, too frequently and been saying a little bit of things like that just kind of, um, I don't know, they're a little bit weird when you think about them because of, you know, the kind of the relationship him and the City fans have built over the past couple of seasons or the past five years now. Um, it's kind of been a little rocky at times this season just because they don't have a, a, an actual number nine. Um, him calling out the fans to basically come to the Etihad. So it's, it's a little bit weird. And it, and it didn't help that they ended up drawing this game. Um, and Raheem Sterling not really coming, taking his Euro 2020 form and bringing it into the Premier League has kind of struggled this season, at least to start off the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not really too surprised in terms of just the striker at like City basically kind of struggling because... I mean, although we kind of always seen the city side being a team that likes to win games 5-0, 6-1, like win mm-hmm. big at times, they usually did have Aguero. They usually did yeah. have someone who was a reliable striker, not always playing like a Ferran Torres at striker or a Sterling at striker, something like that. It was more like a luxury that they did just to kind of almost show off. Whereas like, maybe Pep Guardiola was trying to kind of relate to that Spain 2016 or 2014 squad where they played Cesc Fabregas at striker just because they didn't have any other player that was a striker at the time that they felt they could rely on because that was at the time when David Villa was still a little bit on the decline after his injury, his big injury to him breaking his leg. And also mm-hmm. Torres was still like Chelsea Torres. So. <laughs> They, they trusted a midfielder to play striker and they did like a 4-3-3 false nine. Whereas for Man City, I feel like they're trying to do the same thing. Except instead of having a Fabregas up top, they have a winger. And yeah. this is not like FIFA. You can't just have someone fast <laughs> up top. And then he's, it'll just be they're someone score who's goals. You know, finishing. Yeah, they're just going to score goals. And it's, it's kind of showing. And it's kind of weird to doubt Pep Guardiola's tactics. But... I feel like he kind of had a blessing that he didn't realize he had in Sergio Aguero. Yeah. It was just like, oh, it kind of came naturally. It's like, yeah, yeah, of course he's going to score goals. And it's like, maybe Gabriel Jesus will also score. But Gabriel Jesus has also been on the decline too, I feel like. He hasn't really yeah, lived he's, up he's to... Like, he's been following the Anthony Martial decline. <laughs> yeah, I feel like those two are basically on the same track. Also, Deli Ali. It's just yeah. like, they're all just on that same train going down. <laughs> just riding the bench. Riding the riding bench. The, riding the pine. <laughs> So I, I think it's it's interesting because I remember when Pep Guardiola first came in, he actually wanted to try to ship Sergio Aguero out of the club. He didn't really play that often. He didn't start because I believe his comments were that Aguero needed to adapt to my system um, in terms of being an all-around team player, not just being a poacher that just scores goals. But it's funny, now they really need that poacher that will just score goals because if you look at all the top clubs, Manchester United have Cristiano Ronaldo, Chelsea have Romelu Lukaku, Liverpool, I believe... I, I guess Liverpool are in that kind of that same boat where they don't have that number nine that 
out and out true number nine, but they do have the likes of Salah that seems to score 20 plus goals a season consistently. Um, you know, you look across Europe, some of the biggest and best teams, Real Madrid, Benzema, Bayern Munich, Robert Lewandowski, Dortmund, Erling Holland, they all have that true number nine that will just score goals to for fun. They're they're just will score goals no matter what. You give them a little bit of uh space and they can somehow whip in and then score a goal. So I think City are really gonna miss that because that's a huge thing to like not have on your squad. To not have that goal score, it's uh it, it will definitely cost them a couple points. And like we saw against Southampton, when you don't have that number nine, it it hurts a lot. Mm-hmm. Even off the bench too. Yeah, it's just a super something sub. to just change the team. And that's why I'm still a little confused about that Jack Grealish purchase over the yeah, summer. Where it's it like, seems like they just like they they flex their money for no reason. This is more of a luxury buy than like Kai, Kai Havertz, Havertz to, to Chelsea after they bought Hakim Ziyech. It's just like, why? I mean, now it kind of, it kind of makes sense. But that's unfortunate just due to like the injuries that are at Chelsea right now. But for City... They literally have so many wingers and players that kind of are like Jack Grealish that it's like they don't have the finishing last piece to you know yeah. connect it all. Where it's just they like wanted they have Harry all these Kane. People. It's the funniest things. They wanted Harry Kane, but just Tottenham would not budge and sell him. So the, the Harry Kane, what? they looked at him as like that's our missing piece, and they just didn't get him. And they got Jack Grealish instead. Yeah, <laughs> it's Which, like what? Yeah. It's it's I, unfortunate, but I feel like it's just been part of the overall vibe at City that we knew coming in. It's just that they didn't have that striker and they were just going to live with the fact that they didn't have a true number nine. So I guess they kind of get what they get um, at times. They're going to look really exciting. They might win games 6-3 like they did in the Champions League, but then they might also draw a lot of questionable games due to the lack of clinical finishers at the club. But... um I guess speaking, I know we mentioned the top four teams here, all of them in terms of their past results in the weekend, but that kind of brings up another point that we had mentioned last week. That's probably going to be a point coming up this entire season is that this title race in general is going to be a really good one because I believe this is probably the first time since I've started watching the Premier League that I can legitimately say that I feel like there's more than two teams in the title race. I feel like Manchester United, Manchester City, you can comfortably kind of put them into the title race contenders as well just due to the talent players they have Chelsea had the players Liverpool had the players Liverpool had the coach Chelsea had the coach City had the coach all these factors in I'm really excited for this uh, uh, you know the rest of this Premier League season because the top four just look like absolute legitimately 100% they look like contenders and that's the first time I've seen four teams look like contenders in a long time like the last time I saw this was probably in highlights from old throwback Premier League seasons back in the day yeah, even when I'm trying to think about it too, it's like the most I can probably remember is like three. But mm-hmm. I can't even remember the year. It's, it's it's always usually, you know, back in the days, it was very early on. It's like Chelsea, Man U, or it'd be Man City versus Liverpool. And then more recently, it'd be like Man City most of the time. <laughs> yeah. And then just one other team that just so happens to go off that same season. But this season, it really is just flipping around. Like I... You know, we just mentioned Man City. They might struggle throughout most of the season here and there, you know, dropping a point or two because of the lack of a poacher, the lack of a finisher. But they're still going to be really close behind Liverpool, Man U, and Chelsea. And I, I still think I picked them to win the whole thing still just because in terms of just depth, I still feel like the Man City team has the most depth. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, injuries were to 
come through and ravage, then, you know, I feel like City are the most prepared and they have the most flexibility to change on the fly. So Mm -hmm. even though they don't play with a striker, maybe Pep Guardiola will find a new system that we're not even thinking of now. It's like, you know what? You know, we're going to play these two wingers, (laughs) just two up top and then both wingers and it somehow works. So it's just something just kind of wonky. I actually have a book that I actually bought that I still need to read about the origins of the Tiki Taka that, you know, I'll give a book review later. But that's something I actually want to kind of find some interest in because this kind of style from Pep is so distinct and it's been working for so long. But just occasionally you just see it just just downfalls in like a knockout game or in like a game like this against Southampton if Mm -hmm. the puzzles don't work together. And it it goes down from a tactics to also probably like a culture because I heard from a quote from Aguero where it's like when he went to Barcelona's training like day one. It was like, yeah, I showed up like an hour early. No one was there. And I was like, can I work out? And they're like, no one's at the gym. You can't even go in. It's locked. So you just wait. Whereas for City, he's like, I always showed up an hour early. You know, kind of did your rounds, go practice an extra hour, things like that. And I feel like that kind of culture, I can see that at City. It's very hardcore, work hard, play hard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe this is Standards. slight burnout at times. Standards have been set. Yeah. And so, oh, it's, it's, it's a little tricky to figure out because like they're each team has such different cultures as well and such different tactics. It's It's, really, it's going to be very, I'm going to be, I'm looking forward to, I know we already got Chelsea, Liverpool city and Chelsea is actually coming up this weekend, but I'm really looking forward to how, when these two top, when all four of these top four teams face each other, whether it's United Liverpool, United City, United Chelsea, um, or, you know, vice versa. I'm excited to see how that goes down because, you know, this is essentially the points. If you win these games, you're putting yourself um, ahead and you never know what the way this season is going. It could be a matter of three or two points that basically decides who finishes where in this league. Mm -hmm. And that's usually what we've seen in the previous games or previous seasons Mm -hmm. where Liverpool literally lost the the title by one point. I was like, uh, but <laughs> this season is going to be pretty close. Like we're saying City right now seems like apparently the weakest. This is kind of weird to say, but, you know, you can go maybe two months from now and then be like, all right, looks like United's the weakest now or something. <laughs> or like, oh, Liverpool's slipping. It's like you never know. And this season, as we kind of anticipated at the very beginning, whereas in our previews, it's going to be one of the most unpredictable kind of seasons. And we're already kind of seeing that. So, yeah. Whew. Yeah. So it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Tyler's looking forward to it. The whole world is essentially looking forward to it because it's too, um, it's really, really exciting in terms of the top four talent. But uh, moving into our last section, the preview section, as we mentioned before, we have some really, really good games this weekend. I'm really like top quality games. But to start it off, we have Southampton versus Wolves. Um, interesting one here. Um, I believe it's about 16th versus 15th on the Premier League table. Um, the position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so first sixteenth, another yeah, relegation battle. <laughs> it's it'll be interesting. I feel like the Wolves, the way they've been playing, they haven't been rewarded in terms of their the way they've been playing, the way they like to play through now under uh, Bruno Large, they like to play with very attacking, pressing, bomb forward, go forward type of style um, compared to what they were under Nuno Spirito Santo, Southampton. 
you know how they are with Rafael's and Hudo. They will perform against the big teams, but then they will completely not show up against the smaller teams or, or teams that they should be competing with. So I think um, because of that, I, I actually think Wolves will probably um, go into the St. Mary's and pick up a, uh, I would say, 1-0 win. Ooh. So how you kind of describe Southampton is kind of how I kind of think about them too, where they play to the level of their opposition. Yeah, it brings off so, and Hula to tears. He, he yeah. works so hard going into the week for that one team that he literally goes into tears after beating them or drawing against them. And then just goes downhill from there. But <laughs> it's really kind of showing in terms of the record too. They're 0-4-1. So they have four draws and one loss and no wins. And so it really goes, goes to show it's like, yeah, they're just playing to the opposition. Just getting the draw and just going home. But Wolves, in the meanwhile, it's kind of like the same as what we see in the previous few games this season where they're getting a lot of chances. They're getting a lot of opportunities. They're just getting really unlucky, especially like last week against Brentford. It'd be poor finishing or it'd just be literally unlucky opportunities where at one point, Adama Chari smacked a ball into one of the Brentford defenders and then it hit off the post. Or hit off the crossbar and out. I was like, geez, they literally can't catch a break. And they brought in Huang Yi Chan. He played the whole second half of last game, but he still couldn't get the, on the score sheet for that last game, unfortunately. And they had Rojo Eminez as well. So, you know, they have all their pieces in. They have all the, the right pieces in. It's just that last thing. They didn't have the shooting boots on, yeah. as, so they say. And I feel like this game... This is their big opportunity to finally get those shooting boots in. And I felt like that was the last game against Brentford was another chance too. But maybe against the Southampton side, it might be a little easier. So I'm going to go 1-1. And it'll be Ooh. a start of Wolves finally getting some goals. But I think Southampton are too good at just playing to the opposition. Yeah. Yeah. Southampton, man. The, the way they prepare, they'll bring bring the Ralph House and Hoodle to tears. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Hey, I think plus, he... Yeah. Uh, like random side, note, I think he. I'm the. I'm thinking like he's the only manager I know that can survive getting thrashed like two years in a row, like thrashed nine nil, <laughs> and still have his job. That's incredible. That's absolutely <laughs> incredible. He must say like, be it, blackmailing the Southampton board. <laughs> it's because like he has that kind of like mini Klopp ganging press too at Southampton, like the yeah. the great value version is like what we yeah. like to call it. And then Wolves, <laughs> it's kind of like a almost like a counterattack almost at times. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how these two tactics kind of clash as well, where it's like, I feel like both teams aren't really set up to flourish against the other, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. for themselves. So it's going to be yeah. kind of sloppy. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be an interesting one. And then uh, moving on to the next game, we have the North London Derby, which on most weeks would probably be the biggest game of the weekend. But the way these two teams have been basically going out this Premier League season, it's a very underwhelming, probably one of the more underwhelming derbies, North London derbies from probably this past couple of years um, because the way they started the season are polar opposites. Tottenham started off with three wins in a row. Arsenal started off with three defeats in a row. Arsenal now have two wins in a row. Tottenham now have two defeats in a row. So they're basically meeting at polar opposite times of their seasons, even though it's so early on. And, you know, the in terms of the star quality, power, Arsenal look like they're kind of finding a little bit of form. Tomoyasu has kind of come in and been a revelation at right back. Uh, Martin Odegaard has looked very solid, scored a wonderful free kick um, in his last game uh, for Arsenal. Um, You know, the youngsters are doing well. You know, Thomas Partey, you know, came back into the lineup, was playing. Um, 
So, you know, Arsenal are kind of finding their footing. And now it seems like Tottenham are on the free fall where you have out of form Deli Ali, Harry Kane, you know, kind of just going through the motions at times. Hyunmin's son uh, slowly coming back. So this will be a very interesting one. I think the crowd will be up for it, obviously, because these two fan bases hate each other. But, you know, what I've also been saying, I think Arteta needs these points to kind of save his season. So I actually think this will underwhelming will probably end up being a, you know what? I'm going to go exciting. I'm going to go 2-2 draw for both. I think it's going to end up in a 2-2 draw uh, for the North London Derby. Oh, he took my scoreline, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was about but, to go one one, but I was like, I I, I think it'll be two two. Hmm. I'll change mine up. I'll I'll say mine after this kind of quick thing. But for these two teams, it's kind of ironic that it's kind of an underwhelming North London Derby because now since both teams are kind of on the decline, it, there's a little bit of hope where it's like if either one gets the result, it could maybe rejuvenate and jumpstart them getting some momentum because Arsenal, you know, they beat two teams that are fighting relegation. So it's like, we don't really know for sure if, you know, they're on the, the rise again. Whereas for Tottenham, you know, they lost to a really good Chelsea side in the game before that. They didn't have Hungman's son. So this is a true test for also for Tottenham to see if they can really at least look like they have a fighting chance for European competition, at least challenging for it. So for this, I don't want to say it's like, um, you know, an unstoppable force meets an impenetrable object or something like that or an immovable object. I really don't <laughs> think it's like that. It's more like <laughs> it's like a balloon. It's another balloon. <laughs> it's like it's not really two heavyweights going against each other. It's just very much like just two opposition that are kind of like at the same level at the same time. It's just like, you know, one can really boost from the other. And at first I was actually thinking a nil nil. It might actually be like that. But usually a game like this, a, a Darby, is so fired up. It's like usually you do see goals. But you know what? I'll, I'll go with it. I'll go with a nil-nil. Wow. Okay. Nil-nil. Interesting. I got mm-hmm. you. All right. Nil-nil. I think uh, I think it'll be an exciting Darby. I think it'll be 2-2. But Tyler's going for both defenses to shut, uh, the, uh, shut the other opponent's offense down. So nil-nil it is. But... Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll, I'll definitely say this North London Derby will definitely be an interesting one in terms of the the mood and the vibe going into it for both clubs. But moving on to the biggest game of the weekend, we have Chelsea versus Manchester City. Chelsea, the top of the table, Chelsea uh, playing against Manchester City who dropped points against Southampton. Um, this one will be a very, very exciting and interesting matchup. Um, Chelsea playing at the bridge. Tuchel versus Pep Guardiola. Eh, oh man, this is going to be a very, very good game. But I think the fact that both of these teams are good and they know how to, you know, they're both coached by well, really, really good coaches. I actually think that they will kind of cancel each other out. So I think we'll get a 1-1 draw. I just think that I can't see giving either side an edge in this one. It's just kind of a tough, really good, like just two 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 good teams meeting up with each other. And it's, it's hard to find who has the uh, edge on this one. Man, once again, <laughs> I was going to say 1-1. But I'll actually go with that uh, prediction scoreline just because I feel like for Man City, like Pep Guardiola, although he's been, you know, the trusted manager for a long time and he recently signed, or not even recently, but last season he signed an extension. It's not like he's going anywhere. But also at the same time, the expectations for him are pretty high. It's like you can't be dropping points two games in a row, even if one is Chelsea. So 
I think he has at least the minimum get the draw. And I feel like given their the fact that they're facing an actual insane defense in Chelsea where Tuchel rarely lets in a goal from his opponent. And then City, meanwhile, are kind of it's it's like Tyler Lockett <laughs> in fantasy. It's like either they get six goals or they get zero. <laughs> I feel like this game, they're gonna finally get a little bit of balance, get like one goal, maybe from a penalty, maybe from a set piece. But it's gonna be a pretty close game. It's gonna be pretty squeaky like the Liverpool versus Chelsea game from earlier in the season. So I'm gonna go over one one. But yeah, there's no way Pep Guardiola is gonna be able to drop more points consistently because yeah. Man, yeah, you feel like if they drop if they lose this game you almost feel like not the title is out of reach but it's that's a lot of points to make up i think that they would be at, the, at that point five points behind um chelsea because they're already two behind uh currently from chelsea and liverpool so losing oh, this game three. would be yeah three, three already them. yeah so mm-hmm. it'll be a huge loss for them to be that many points behind the the top of the table so i think they need to stay in that race and stay in that pack um so i think it'll be a a 1-1 draw and tyler's also calling a draw as well it'll be a good game to watch but yeah that uh that kind of wraps up um episode 125 for us as we always say um you can follow us on our social media pages at the premier pod on instagram and twitter send us any questions you like we are happy to announce um at you know answer them and also use them as uh talking points for the next couple pods you can also watch the video version of this podcast at the premiere pod on youtube subscribe to us on there um, if you want to catch the video version and also if you're listening to this on apple podcast you can leave us a rating and review um, that helps us out and gets us um, basically on the top charts and gets us noticed out to other people but if you don't want to do that and you just want to listen that's totally fine and if you want to share this podcast with someone that is also interested in soccer or the premier league we definitely appreciate that and we uh love the support any way we can get it so as we always say thank you guys so much for listening in on season four episode 125 with us uh we greatly appreciate it thank you guys peace peace